Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back. It's Tia Mento here, and you're listening to the British Whisperer, the place to be to know which stories are making the headlines and learn the English you need. With this podcast, you can stay informed about the world by practicing your listening skills and learning your vocabulary. On the podcast website, thebritishwhisperer.com, you can find a link to the back page with full transcript of this episode and its translation in Italian. You're welcome to suggest topics you would like to hear about by writing an email at thebritishwhisperer at writeme.com. In this eighth episode of this podcast, I'm going to focus first on Mr. Elon Musk and Twitter, the old couple, after the world's richest man completed the deal to buy Twitter on Friday. Next, on a window on Britain, as promised, focus on Prince Harry, long-awaited memory spare, that is due in January 2023. How explosive will it be? And finally, some advice for today's celebrations and why you shouldn't dress up your pets for Halloween. British Veterinary Association says it's important to remember that pets are not fashion accessories, despite popular social media trends. Are you ready? In the early hours of Friday morning, Elon Musk tweeted, The bird is freed. It appears to be a tiny and very musky way to announce to the users of the site that he has completed his $44 billion takeover of Twitter. In a bizarre video posted on the social network, the Tesla billionaire enters Twitter's San Francisco's office carrying a sink. Yes, you heard it right, a sink. Adding, let that sink in. Is humorous, isn't it? He also changed his Twitter description to Chief Tweet. If so, this was not a happy or easy acquisition. There have been U-turns and lawsuits, with Twitter taking Mars to court in the summer for allegedly reneging on his contract. Now he has completed the acquisition, and it looks as though Musk has wasted no time in getting started, firing senior executives, including the CEO, Parag Agrawal. A new era has begun. Musk claims that he's doing this for the greater good. The reason I acquired Twitter is because it is important for the future of civilization to have a common digital town square, he wrote in a social media post. He claims he didn't do this to make money, but to help humanity, whom I love. How noble! But like billionaires before him who have bought sports teams and newspapers, Musk's decision to set his sights on Twitter may also be seen as a way to acquire soft power and to have a new toy to play with. What's more, Elon Musk's idea of what is good for society doesn't necessarily line up with what what people believe. On the one hand, Musk dreams of creating an all-encompassing super-app called X, which will include Twitter, like China's WeChat, seems a little bit far-fetched. The super-app would turn Twitter into an everything-app like the Chinese app WeChat, which has become the center of modern life in China, handling messaging, payments, gaming and countless other functions. A network of mini-apps that connect a main app and enable users to do everything, even book taxes. In the West, no such app exists. Musk wants it to be Twitter. And it can have a significant impact in other ways as well. 
Mr. Musk has said he wants to defeat spam bots on Twitter, make the algorithms that determine how content is presented to its users' publicies available, and prevent the platform from becoming an echo chamber for hate and division, even if it limits censorships. Every day, people send a total of more than 500 million tweets. Trying to snare every bit of hate speech or spam or misinformation, not to mention viruses, state-sponsored cyber attacks and bored teenage hackers, it is a relentless losing battle. Yet, a popular opinion espoused by Musk and many others in Silicon Valley is that Twitter is fatally bloated. That might be true. It is also true that it needs people to weed out the worst stuff. One of the biggest gripes Musk has with Twitter is that he believes the site is over-moderated, an opinion that is not widely shared, and he has already signaled that he will reverse a permanent ban on Donald Trump. In fact, the company is under fire for not doing enough when it comes to keeping users safe from harassment and taking down inappropriate, offensive or illegal content. It is not inevitable that Twitter will return to its wild west days where anyone could post what they wanted. The chance that Musk will be walking the moderation desk himself or trying to rip up the rulebook without opposition is relatively low. The issue with Musk is, and has always been, the fact that no one can tell how weird it is to any of these ideas. His commitment to shitposting I'm not being unnecessarily crude. It's a real phenomenon where users intentionally post provocative or off-topic comments on social media. Has meant that no one will really know how far he will take his joke. This bizarre legal dispute is perhaps an indicator of where social media more broadly is heeded. Following reports that meters profit having Halved during the third quarter of the year, investors wiped more than $60 billion, all while Mark Zuckerberg's company hemorrhages $50 billion a year on building metaverse technology and its art business shrinks. Meanwhile, Twitter's value has been falling for a couple of years, but now it's different. As apps like TikTok and BeReal grow in terms of cultural clout and the financial and social power of the old tech giants begins to wane, the arrival of Elon Musk could be Twitter's final death knell or an unexpected breath of fresh air. If you're still confused at the idea of what Mrs. Musk is doing with Twitter, the Times of London has published a Q&A that you can read in my stories as well as clicking on the links in the script of this episode. What does Elon Musk want is plans explained, is the title of the Times of London Q&A. The Economist instead focuses on how will Elon Musk use his superpowers. With great technological power comes great political responsibility, writes the magazine. Given Mrs. Musk's desire to change the future, it is hardly surprising to see him using the powers he is accruing to intervene in the present too. After the invasion of Ukraine, SpaceX sent Starlink terminals and switched on satellite coverage. Ukraine has been vocal in its gratitude for this intervention, which helped its cities restore vital services and its forces prevail on the battlefield. 
At the beginning of October, Elon Musk has prompted an online row with Ukraine's President Zelensky after he asked Twitter users to weigh in on his ideas to end Russia's war. The tweet infuriated Ukrainians and President Zelensky responded with his own poll, asking his own 6.7 million followers whether they preferred a pro-Ukraine Mr. Musk or a pro-Russia one. A reminder, if one were needed, of Twitter's influence in shaping global perceptions of the world. The fact that Mr. Musk can, in a single tweet, get into a Twitter spot with the president of Ukraine in an online discussion forum that he has just bought, while also sending people into orbit, demonstrates the extent to which his growing technological superpowers have granted him geopolitical clout. Should that be cause for admiration or concern? In themselves, Mr. Musk's political musings on Twitter matter little. But given the platform's important role in the February world of politics, his decisions about Twitter itself, such as whether to reinstate Donald Trump's access, will matter a lot more. So will decisions about Starlink. Whatever your politics, it is worrying that one man can choose whether to extend internet access to anywhere on Earth, can decide who can use it and can turn it off at will. There is no commercial case against Mr. Musk's accumulation of power. Starlink is not a monopoly, nor is a SpaceX satellite launch business. Though is currently the West's only option for launching astronauts into orbit. No is Twitter, but all three have global importance and will do for some time to come. How Elon Musk became a geopolitical chaos agent wonders the New York Times. Mr. Musk has in recent months emerged as a new chaotic actor on the stage of global politics, while plenty of billionaire executives like to Twitter two cents on world affairs. None can come close to Mr. Musk's influence and ability to cause trouble. He has sometimes waded into situations even after he was advised not to, and has already left behind plenty of messes. While the bulk of Mr. Musk's wealth comes from his stake in his electric car company Tesla, his influence stems largely from his rocket company SpaceX, which runs the Starlink satellite network. Starlink can beam internet services to conflict zones and geopolitical hotspots, as he has done with Ukraine, and, in fact, becoming an essential tool of the Ukraine army. Mr. Musk's influence will grow even further after purchasing Twitter. He has called himself a free speech absolutist and he is expected to take a light touch to moderating Twitter's content. The New York Times writes, Elon Musk's Twitter will be a wild ride. The New York Times wrote six predictions about Twitter under Musk's control. Among the most important ones, Twitter will kill unpopular features, go after bots and introduce new subscription products. Donald Trump will return to Twitter along with a swarm of other right-wing cultural warriors. Mr. Musk, who has framed his bid for Twitter as an attempt to preserve free speech on the platform, has long said that, if successful, it would allow former President Donald Trump to reclaim his Twitter account, which was permanently suspended last year after the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. It probably won't change the media terms, but 2024 could be the Elon election. 
by loosening restrictions on political ads on Twitter, he could reshape the conversation. By 2024, Mr. Musk will have been able to more fully mold Twitter into his own image. The platform could look radically different by then. More right-wing trolls, fewer guardrails against misinformation and extremism, or it could be largely the same. Mr. Musk will be certainly firmly in charge, and if Twitter still plays anywhere near the role in American political and media culture that it does today, he will emerge as a central, polarizing figure in the 2024 election cycle. What are your thoughts on Mr. Musk's Twitter's takeover? Do you think it will change completely or it will roughly remain the same? Send me your thoughts by direct messaging me on Instagram or sending me an email at thebritishwhisper at writeme.com. Let's move now to Prince Harry's memoir that is due in January. How explosive will it be? wonders the New York Times. The memoir is expected to be a bestseller, but after the Queen's death, some royal expert and industry executives say the project has become risky for Harry. After months of frenzied speculation, the book has a publication date, ladies and gentlemen, January 10th, 2023. Prince Harry's intimate and heartfelt memoir to be released in January and focus on his personal journey from trauma to healing. The book has been pushed back from an original publication date this year, which would have been seen come out in time for the lucrative Christmas market. Instead, it will be released during the traditional quiet January period, after the remaining royal family gather for Christmas at Sandringham. Reports that the Duke has made significant edits to the tone of the book after getting cold feet are said to be overblown. The Telegraph understands the book will be in fact containing a short note explaining that it was written before the death of his grandmother on September the 8th, but will otherwise appear intact. A source said that the Duke has fought to push the publication date back as long as possible out of respect for the late Queen. Nevertheless, its publication will come just weeks after the release of a Netflix documentary series featuring extensive interviews with the Duke and the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, which is expected to be released in December. It is understood that neither the King nor the Prince of Wales nor their lawyers and advisers have been given the opportunity to read any of the manuscript. The family is braced then for intimate revelation in both the book and the television series, acutely aware that they could further deepen the family rift and damage the monarchy at an incredibly sensitive time. In fact, the book will be published at a delicate moment for the British monarchy and public, which is still adjusting to King Charles III and reeling from economic and political instability. Its release also thrust Prince Harry into an impossible situation. Damaging revelations could hurt the monarchy and his relation with his family. But holding back could dampen sales, making it more difficult for his publisher to recoup its considerable costs, and could erode Harry's self-made image as the rebellious through Stalin Prince. He is his goal to enhance his celebrity with a certain sector of the public, or is it to repair the rift with his family, wonders the New York Times. 
The cover shows Harry looking straight at the camera in a photograph taken by Ramona Rosales, a famous photographer. The cover features a single photograph of the Duke, okay? And it's reminiscent of his days in the military with a brown t-shirt and black string necklace. And it's strikingly similar to the autobiography of tennis player Andre Agassi, who has the same ghostwriter, by the way, J.R. Moringer. As the Telegraph revealed in August, Prince Harry memoir follows the model set by Agassi in having a one-word title, the latter calling his book open, while the 15th line to the throne went for spare, which gives readers a taste of what to expect. The book's title is a reference to the concept of the hare and the spare, in this case the Prince of Wales, who will be a future king, and his younger brother, the Duke of Sussex. The role of the spare has been famously complicated in the royal family, with those moving away from the line of succession as they get older, including the Duke of York and Princess Margaret, sometimes struggling to find their place within the institution. Prince Harry chose to leave his life as a working royal in January 2020. He worked from his home in California as a mental health advisor, eco-travel business leader and now a writer. The focus has changed significantly since the book was first announced in July 2021, when it was billed as an inspiring, courageous and uplifting human story. Then the Duke said, I'm writing this not as the prince I was born, but as a man I have become. I've worn many hats over the years, both literally and figuratively, and my hope is that in telling my story, the highs and the lows, the mistakes, the lesson learned, I can help show that no matter where we come from, we have more in common than we think. It is now promoted clearly as his personal journey from trauma to healing, stoking fears that he will take direct aim at members of his family. The title was said by one royal source to be very pointed and particularly hurtful to family members who had tried to help the prince avoid the spare role while he was a working royal. Imagine if he had published this with the queen still here, said another source. Penguin Random House, the publisher, said, Spare, take readers immediately back to one of the most searing images of the 20th century. Two young boys, two princesses, walking behind their mother's coffin as the world watched in sorrow and horror. As Diana, Princess of Wales, was laid to rest, billions wondered what the princes must be thinking and feeling, and how their lives would play out from that point on, reports the Times of London. The memoir, the first in a competitive multi-bookle deal with Penguin Random House, was initially scheduled for late 2022 and expected to be a blockbuster. It was part of a broader push by Harry and Meghan Markle, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, to build their brands as media moguls. Beyond the book contract, with a rumored price tag of at least $20 million, the couple signed lucrative deals with Netflix and Spotify, writes the New York Times. A recent article in the British paper The Daily Mail, which predicted that the memoir would deliver bombshell after bombshell, contained thinly sourced chatter about the anxiety that the prospect of tell-all is supposedly causing into the royal family. Buckingham Palace is in a state of high alarm, with courtiers said to be asking themselves what, if anything, can be done to stop its publication. I'm afraid it's too late. Harry said it would be a first-hand account that was accurate and wholly truthful. It is unclear, though, how much farther Harry will go.
In media interviews, Andy and Meghan have described the psychological toll of the harsh and unrelenting tabloid coverage, of the lack of support they felt from the royal family, and of the racism that was directed at Meghan, who revealed that she at one point felt suicidal. But the couple have not disclosed, for example, who in the royal family speculated about the skin tone of their baby. Harry's complaint about his family extended back to his childhood. In a podcast interview with the actor Dax Shepard, Harry described the genetic pain and suffering of being raised in the royal family and compared growing up as a royal as a mix between the Truman Show and living in a zoo. Harry and Meghan's strained relation with his family and the harsh treatment by the British tabloid press were on full display this fall, as the presence at the Queen's funeral sparked a fresh round of criticism that they were to seek attention. Rumours began swirling in the tabloids and in the publishing world that Harry would tone down or shy away from some of the more damning material about his family out of respect for the Queen. Though... As it is often the case, much of the speculation was delivered through anonymous sources and Harry and his publisher have not commented publicly. A source told the Times of London, he is keen for refinements in the light of Queen's death, for the funeral and his father Charles taking the throne. There might be things in the book which might not so look good if they come out soon after these events. <sighs> so... It might be too late now to change the publication then. So what do you think about despair? Do you reckon Harry should have renounced to publish his memoir? Let me know your thoughts by emailing me or writing a comment on my Instagram page. But now, let's look at Halloween. That might look cute, but here's why you shouldn't dress up your pets for Halloween. British Veterinary Association says it's important to remember that pets are not fashion accessories, despite popular social media trends. Using Halloween as an opportunity to dress up a beloved pet as a spooky bat or a creepy spider might be regarded as harmless fun, even if it's questionable on grounds of good taste alone. But now vets have put frighteners on pet owners, warning them they could be putting their animals at risk by adorning them with wings, extra legs and other witching hour accessories. Vets says by forcing animals to wear costumes, a trend that has been popularized on social media, may not only give the pets themselves a scare, but leave them unable to defend themselves or evade other predators. Justin Shutton of the British Veterinary Association said, Most owners consider pets as a part of the family, which is great, but it's important to remember that pets are not fashion accessories. Dressing up animals as otherwise and unnaturally changing their appearance is not only unnecessary and potentially harmful, but in some cases also prevents pets from expressing their natural behaviors and from using their body language to communicate. So, Halloween is quite a stressful time already for some pets with excited children, familiar people looking different costumes and masks, and pets need to be reassured. So, have you ever dressed up your pets for Halloween or only bought treats for them? I usually don't give them treats, but the biscuit is definitely there to celebrate this spooky day.
That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. On the podcast website, you can find a link to the podcast page with the full transcript of any translation in Italian. If you enjoy my show, please hit subscribe on Spotify or Apple so you don't miss any other episode. And if you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and if you can, donate just a little on PayPal. To stay up to date with The British Whisper, you can follow me on Instagram at The British Whisper and spread the word. You are welcome to share any feedback, thoughts or ideas writing an email to thebritishwhisper at writeme.com and I hope that you can take some valuable information from this episode and apply it to your English learning. And be sure to come back next week for a new episode. Until then, I'm Thea and this is The British Whisper.